to the Scribe Count Podcast. I'm Philippa Werner, and I'll be your host. Today, my guest is Mark Leslie Lefebvre, an author who learned early in his career that he enjoyed bookselling as much as writing his own books. After running bookstores and working for multiple ebook platforms, he now has both a thriving career as a fiction and nonfiction author, and has a full second career helping other authors navigate the publishing industry. We'll discuss his hopes for the industry at large, his personal definition of success, and the current artistic trend he loves seeing on social media. Before we begin, a brief note about the Scribe Count launch. We're about halfway through our month-long launch period, and I've been hard at work collecting user feedback and smoothing out bugs. Early bugs with Google Play and pre-2016 Amazon data have been resolved, and we're hard at work to create a demerge option for books. There have been two main areas of user requests. First, customizing the dashboard, and second, adding a calendar feature. I'm happy to report that both of these are underway. Both are large updates in their own way. The more flexibility one introduces into a system, for instance, changing around the dashboard, the more stress testing and background work is necessary to make sure everything remains stable. For the calendar update, which will include promotion markers, ad spend, other income, and more, there's a great deal to build from the ground up and then integrate with our existing system. We're excited about both and we'll have expected release dates for you all soon. If you have a feature to request or a bug to report, you can reach out by emailing support at scribecount.com. Today, my guest is Mark Leslie Lefebvre, an author and industry professional whose work, and I'm not being hyperbolic here, has touched almost every indie author I can think of. Welcome, Mark. <laughs> Thanks so much. It sounds icky that I've touched everyone, <laughs> but I really, really miss hugging. <laughs> I miss hugging too. It's uh, It was very odd because I'm a huge introvert. And so the first few months of the pandemic were fine. It was, it was <laughs> fine. And then I actually got to the point where I physically achingly missed people and it was like oh this is new <laughs> that, that was strange it was funny I was, I was chatting with joanna penn about that recently and 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 again she likes to recharge by herself mm-hmm. but even even you know introverts like you and myself and joanna was like no i'm good i want to get out there again i want to see people <laughs> I, I, i'm kind of leery in group scenes when i see them in movies now because i'm like no one has a mask i don't understand <gasps> there's going to be a shadow effect of that right where you're like i don't know about the sweaty nightclub thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're all just out in public sharing air with each other and yeah, oh. wow. <laughs> this feels really uncomfortable <laughs> um yes so uh mark whose work has metaphorically touched all of the authors in my circle <laughs> so uh give us an overview of your career as an author your career as an industry professional how those two evolved together, which spurred which? Yeah. Um, so I, I always knew I, I wanted to be a writer, storyteller from the time I was a kid, little finger puppet things I would play with. And then it became stick figure cartoons. Then I discovered the magic of I'm old enough to know what a typewriter is and have <laughs> actually written my first stories on a typewriter and mailed them away. And then you, you didn't have photocopiers or they didn't exist in my town because there was like one. 
and uh and, and self-addressed stamped envelopes and all that stuff mm -hmm. but in um when i was in university i got a part-time job at a bookstore and uh 1992 is when i got my first full-time job in a bookstore which is the year i graduated from university it was also the year after uh, you know half a dozen year of rejections from all kinds of publishers my very first short story was published i think it was like five dollars and a copy of the magazine yeah <laughs> look at me i don't think i ever got the five dollars but i didn't care because i there was my work and it was in print and it was this digest size thing that was probably circulation 400 um <laughs> so i probably have the only copy in existence <laughs> and um but i started book selling in 92 and the reason i got into book selling is uh i wanted to get into journalism i wasn't smart enough i couldn't get into the programs they're very competitive but i got into english language and literature i'm like great i love reading I did that and was like, what am I going to do? Well, I like being near books. Why don't I work at a bookstore? And that was one of the three jobs that I had because I wanted to um, uh, get up early, write and kind of do that. And so I, I ended up falling in love with being a bookseller as much as I loved writing. And one of the challenges for myself was uh, I ended up getting into management, managing uh, all kinds of different bookstores. I've managed almost every kind of bookstore except used bookstore and a Christian bookstore. Those are the only two I haven't um, managed. Um, but I fell in love with it so much and it ate up so much of my time um, mm -hmm. that I have these dual careers. One is a writer and one is a bookseller. And I often sacrificed my writing because I was doing cool things. I got to become president of the Booksellers Association. In one of the bookstores I managed at a, a university bookstore, uh, I had uh, the ninth espresso book machine in the world that I was operating in my store. Uh, which is where I, I did some really creative print on demand stuff right in the store. And I was like, well, hey, instead of downloading books and I'll just put one of my own books in here and that way I can, I don't need to get permission. I can just crank it off really fast. And, and that spun off a whole that got me into Kobo um, mm -hmm. because I was also, I started doing local books for people. And I was like, well, how can I get your book on Amazon? How can I get it on Smashwords? And Kobo didn't have a platform. So I was using their old, there, there, there was a way to get in. It was like this old fashioned FTP. It was kind of like the beginnings of Google, very mm -hmm. whatever. And then uh, Kobo hired me to create a solution for <laughs> authors, uh, which got me, uh, you know, head first into self-publishing. Um, I had self-published in 2004, uh, but that was print on demand and, and using Smashwords and Kindle. And so I had the opportunity to help build a platform from the from scratch. Mm -hmm. And um, even though I left the corporate world in 2017, I couldn't leave it fully behind because mm -hmm. uh, I, I work part time for draft to digital uh, I consult with them. And I, I wanted to still build cool things for authors while trying to spend more time being an author. I'm not <laughs> not very successful. I still probably only spend about 10 hours a week on on writing, um, you know, 20 hours with draft to digital. And then and then the rest is freelance consulting, I guess. And just because I love the book industry so much, I I can't help but share and want to share. Yes. Yes. And that's that is amazing. Um, and we've we've spoken before you and I, and I've seen your commentary on various author communities. And uh, for those rants and all, right? <laughs> yes, uh, these are Canadian style rants. So uh, for most people, would be talking. Um, 
can use, use capital letters every once in a while. <laughs> yes, if you're feeling especially salty, you can. <laughs> uh, but for those of our, our readers, listeners who are not familiar, uh, I think they might not know how passionate you are about helping indie authors. And that's normal in the indie writing ecosystem. But for you, I would say it really approaches the level of a vocation or an avocation. And tell me about that. It's, you know, it's yeah. an unusually sharp focus. And thank you. Um, you know what I do? I do feel like it's my calling. I've had so many amazing writers mentor me. I, I remember it was just a few years ago, I, I was sitting on stage beside Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. And I remember when I first started writing the typewriter days, and they were editing Pulp House magazine. And I remember thinking, if I could ever get into Pulp House magazine, I've made it. I've made it. I'd be a successful author. Well, Pulp House uh, folded. Uh, they went on to do other things. They brought it back a few years ago. I've since become friends with them. And I'm sitting on stage running a workshop with them. They treat me like colleagues, as if I, you know, this is like the uh, imposter syndrome. How am oh, I with these? legend. <laughs> uh, and Dean turns to me during a break and he says, hey, that story you were talking about earlier, I'd love to have it in Pulp Post magazine. Can you send it to me? I'll, I'll take reprints. And, 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 you know, I'm glad I was sitting down. I almost humped his leg. I was so excited <laughs> because, you know, it was just like, oh my God. And that, I'm actually the, the only and first guest editor he's ever had for Pulp Post where one of the issues is mine and I got to put whatever I wanted in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow. So, I have been lucky and helped and mentored by so many amazing, th th these are just a, a few of the people that have mentored me and given me an opportunity and, and shared and helped me. So I feel it's, it's my duty if I understand something about the business of writing and publishing, and because I understand it from the author side and from yes. traditional publishing and book selling, that I want to make sure that authors are informed and educated and that they're making good choice is not the first choice that comes yep. to, right? That they actually are, are taking the time because uh, the one thing about our industry is there's far more sharks and crooks and thieves. Yes. And I'm like, David Gogren is very passionate about author solutions and helping authors. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like, I, like role model, like David is there helping people mm -hmm. all the time, probably for the sacrifice of his own fiction writing. Yeah. And, and and I was like, he's a, he's a model to me because of how much he gives and how much he shares. I mean, so many people do. That's what I love about, especially the indie author community. Yes. Traditionally published authors have that same passion and, and desire to help uh, too. So I feel I owe all of those people who helped me by paying it forward. And if I can help, if I can save an author some of the heartbreaks, some of the, <laughs> the pain points, some of the, oh, I threw away how many thousand dollars on this thing I shouldn't have done. Yes. If I can help them in, in even a tiny, tiny way, it's to me as satisfying as if I've written a story and only one person loves it. Like I had a short story in a science fiction anthology meant for young readers. Mm -hmm. And I got a note through the editor, through the publisher, finally mm -hmm. made it to me as it was traditionally published. And it was from a teacher saying, here's a short story, this young boy in grade five, who is a reluctant reader, had never finished a short story ever. Your mm -hmm. short story was the first story he ever read. And he was oh, so excited. He wrote a sequel to it. And I wanted to share it with you. Are you kidding me? 
If I never do anything good as a writer again, I turn one little guy into a into reader. A reader. And a yes. Like, and those are the moments that we live yeah. for. That's why I help for. authors, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I can help an author, then they can make a difference in someone else's lives. And we've, we've made the world uh, better. So yeah, I, I suppose I'm somewhat passionate about that. <laughs> a little, I'm, yeah. you know, getting ambivalent vibes from yeah. you. So, <laughs> and, and, and I'm such a, I'm such a, uh, I'm such a, a big baby that I'm almost in tears just talking about that. <laughs> so I'm like, ah! Which is lovely. It is lovely. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm just going to man up. Oh, all right. <clears throat> yes. All right. Okay. Just We're pound good. on the chest a little bit oh, yeah. there. <laughs> all right. So in a very restrained and stoic way. Yes. Uh, as we're talking about helping authors onwards. Indeed. What does it actually look like for you for pie in the sky, no logistics, no concerns? If you had to look into the future and say, this is my ideal publishing ecosystem in the future. Oh, for authors in general? For Yes, in general. Yeah. What does that look like? Is there traditional publishing? Is there not? Is there... Are there shared bestseller lists? Yes. Are there, what does that look like to you? Yes, to all of it. <laughs> um, what it is, is uh, an author has an idea, has an IP, has uh, intellectual property that they have created out of the beauty of their imaginations, of their souls, their hearts, their mm -hmm. minds. And they have the opportunity to decide, which they kind of do today, but ideally there's less resistance and there's more, more of the removal of the gatekeepers in ways for them to connect with the right people to make that happen. If it happens to be words on a printed page, uh, e-ink e on an on a e-book reader, uh, audio book, if it happens to be some other form of digital content that we consume, mm -hmm whether it's like podcast style or live or any of the ways we can share creative expression, whether it's video, whether it's movie rights, TV, um, whether it's illustrated uh, graphic novels, any of those things mm -hmm. that there's an easy way for an author to find the right people to collaborate with. And that's what I think about when proper publishing is collaboration. It's not, it, it's kind of like it's a marriage. It's it's like working with an editor, working with a cover designer as an indie author is like working with an editor or working with a publisher. You're collaborating to be successful together. Yes. And all that writing and publishing is ultimately is a collaboration. The beautiful dance that happens when reader and writer get brought together and they perform that magical ballet together, that magical classical dance to the beautiful music of story. That's what it's all about. That's why we're all doing this, really. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe we can make money from it, or maybe we can change lives. Maybe we can do both. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I envision a, a future that allows uh, lack of resistance to collaboration. I've long dreamed of more collaborative opportunities of authors and publishers having some transparency and being able to work together and being able to decide. I look at something like what Mark Dawson's done with Welbeck Publishing in the UK. Mm -hmm. Welbeck has access, is as brilliant and, and talented and rich as, as Mark is and the huge network he has, nobody outside of the indie author space has heard of him, mm -hmm. even though dude's making seven figures happily, selling mm -hmm. books, making millions of readers happy. Nobody's heard of him yet. That's okay. That's fine. Plenty of authors will never be heard of, but they're doing well. Mm -hmm. And But as powerful and as strong as he is, Welbeck has access to the old boys school of publishing and distribution that Mark would never have in the, in the same way. Therefore, when they collaborated on that publishing deal, where he kept all digital rights, 
and they have a collaboration on the print where there it's a 50 50 split which is a very generous for both of them i think they they both win in a significant way and i think that deals like that i would love to see more deals like that and and less headbutting between indie authors and traditional publishers and more opportunities to go hey we can do this together we can figure out a way that we can all be successful and not worry about uh cannibalization um or or whatever i i so yeah my my future um my future means an author gets up in the morning and is like hey i've got some great stories to share mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that there's opportunities to go hmm how shall i share them today <laughs> yes that's wonderful i love the perspective that it's not a zero-sum game yeah. uh between independent publishing and traditional publishing uh because especially it, this goes around, it comes around, it keeps being a thing. We see so much defensiveness on all sides mm. of publishing. Um, hearing people say, you know, I know that you think that I am foolish for going the traditional publishing route because I'm leaving so much on the table, right. but this is the right way to go for me. Or independent authors saying, I know that you think that I'm a hack who just couldn't get through the gatekeepers and, um, and so it's interesting to see all of these very wounded sides and talk about, well, which phase of this is dying, quote unquote, uh, which is ascending and instead to look at it ahead and say, well, all of these have different parts to play. We can all play together. We can make the sandbox yeah. bigger. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I have think a much better the, future. <clears throat> you're exactly right. And I think one of the challenges, one of the reasons I started the Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing podcast was because I felt that I was in a world where I could see into both worlds and I could tell that those worlds couldn't see the other side. Indie authors think traditional publishers have their heads up their butts because they don't know anything about eBooks, which is kind of true. They don't know much about eBooks. And, and, and traditional publishers think indie authors have their heads up their butts because they're hacks who couldn't find a publisher or whatever, right? And in some cases they're true, but in a lot of cases they're not. Um, but the reality is, is that they're actually selling different products and they don't realize it. They think it's the same product, but um, as, as strong and as powerful as ebooks are in the indie author movement, ebooks are still 20 to 30% of the overall book market in general. So 80% of the market, maybe even as low as 70%, and I'm being generous when I say that, is still print books. Mm -hmm. Publishers are focused on that because it's billions of dollars and indie authors go, well, what are you doing? Is, well, well, they're actually pricing to drive people back to print books. That's what they're doing because they're worried about cannibal. So <laughs> I, I think I mean, even that alone, if they don't change their perspectives, if they change the way they try to work together, they could probably both be far more successful. Um, I know my uh, traditional publisher, <laughs> oh my God, I think I sold more eBooks this week than they will sell of all of the titles they have of mine for the last year, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't know how to sell an ebook, and and my and my books with them are are technically they're souvenirs. They're <laughs> yeah, they are that, that it's a, it's a print world for them, um, which is great because Costco picks them up and all kinds of other things. They do great in print. Mm -hmm. put an ebook. I would rather just keep the ebook rights because I think I could sell way more. Heck, yep. I give them a percentage of my ebook sales just so I could control them better. Um, but again, I'm bound by this restrictive contract that came out of hundred year old legacy publishing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think, um, I, I'm off on a tangent again, but I, I do think that, I do think that there's pros and cons to both sides. I, um, you, what you said is perfectly, perfectly right. 
There's no one choice. There's no one option. And authors will choose multiple things. Some books they will do this with, some books they will do that with, some books they'll do the other thing with each, like uh, you have children, you have different children and they all grow up to want to be different things. Mm -hmm. Our books are the same way. Our, our IP is the same way. We can send them off to be all the things they want to be. And we, they can be multiple things. Um, so that's the beauty of, of, of that sort of, you know, independent spirit, even if you are a traditional publish, uh, traditionally published, because within traditional publishing, there's hybrid opportunities that probably not being exploited as much as they can. Interesting. All right. I, I, don't think it's presumptive to say we're probably going to come back around to this in another podcast episode and go more on uh, hybrid <laughs> things and on talking about different uh, contract opportunities and what contracts could look like in the future when they're not so restrained. Yeah. Um, and that might have to be for new publishing houses, uh, but yeah. we'll come back to that. Um, so now here is the part of the podcast that I warned you about when we talked earlier, uh, and warning is, sounds a little bit strong, but for me, this has been in a surprisingly raw topic as I've been approaching it over the past few weeks, which is to ask in an aspiration based, again, no logistics, no whatever world, what does your ideal career as a writer look like? What place does that occupy in your world oh i love that question that's a really good question um so taking off my passion to help other authors and just focusing on writing um i think the challenge that i have that i know a lot of writers have is not the lack of ideas mm -hmm. it's the lack of the time to do all the ideas and so finding the right people to collaborate with to help in some cases. So for example, I've been doing a lot of visual storytelling in the last year. Mm, okay. I've been experimenting with stupid music parody videos, which I've had a complete blast doing because it it, it is storytelling. Mm -hmm. the, the, the very first parody video my partner Liz and I did was uh, Steeler's Wheels, uh, Stuck in the House Here With You, based on Stuck <laughs> in the Middle With You. And what it was is it was a writing warm-up exercise because I was uh, whenever I'm blocked in writing, I, I, I write parody lyrics because mm -hmm. it helps free a different part of my brain and then I can go into prose. Well, I did this. We ended up making a music video, recording it. I'm not a good singer, but we had fun anyways. And the whole experience of doing that reminded me there was a story that we told in that song. And I, when I got the reaction, because I, I write to for an emotional reaction. I want people to be inspired, be informed, be entertained, be scared, be happy, all the things. That's what you do. You're, you're kind of toying with people, right? Like, ah, I'm going to make you feel this. <laughs> and, I, and I think that when I'm, when I'm crying and I'm watching, uh, you know, about this fictional character and I'm like, oh, it's so, like, like, this is us or something like that. And I was like, no, Jack doesn't exist. This, this, this fantastic father who dies, like he never exists. It's fiction. Somebody made him up and I'm crying over a fictional person. Mm -hmm. That's power. That's amazing. So I want to do that and I want to do it in whatever way it works. I've done audio walking tours for some of my nonfiction ghost stories using voice map, which is a completely different technology, but Hey, I get 50% of all the sales on this thing that people download the app. They go on my walking tour and, and I guide them through using GPS. It's another revenue stream for me as an author. So I want to have time to take my ideas 
and be able to exploit them in as many different ways as I can so that I may not reach somebody who they, they may never read, but they may go on one of my ghost tours or they may watch one of my stupid dad joke videos or, or, or whatever, or the parody. And they're like, ah, that's the monster mash, but it's not ha, ha. that kind <laughs> of thing. Right. That to me is, is ideal. If I can create stuff that moves people, entertains, informs and inspires, I am happy as a clam. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. And that's, uh, that's very interesting. It's I've been coming to terms over the past few months, uh, years, I'm a slow learning, um, with making sure that I am in fact going in the direction of what is my ideal career. And I'm still I'm still inhabiting the spaces that are good for me to inhabit and I'm not pushing, burning myself out, pushing towards a place that I don't even want to be. Right. And the more that I talk with people about what success looks like in general, they're very happy to discuss it. And then I ask, oh, so what does success look like for you? What, what would you like more than anything else for your writing career? And it's uh, amazing watching the sort of the shoulders go up around the ears. And it's this like, Oh, you, you pulled my chest cavity right open. And <laughs> so it's something that, you know, I very much want to explore because I think that's a, an area that we don't talk about enough that we began this indie author experiment in a way saying, we can do things that are just as good as traditional publishing is turning out we can be hitting the bestseller list, we can be affecting people, we can ha have that emotional uh, effect in people's lives. But there are a lot of people that weren't actually here for bestsellers, weren't, they wanted to be working in the world, they wanted to be creating stories. And now we've gotten to a point as a small ecosystem where we can start branching out and saying, again, with informed choices, where do you want to go? okay, here's advice to get there. Uh, I don't suppose you could do a GPS walking tour for that. <laughs> Although you, you could technically. You could. You could, you could basically base it on directional movements and say, mm -hmm. if you want to do this, turn left. <laughs> <laughs> as, as the technology gets better, right? When you've got the virtual the VR headset and, and, and yeah, you could, you could, you, there's, there's no, the limits are only as far as our imagination will take mm -hmm. us and and we have we're at the very beginning of the digital publishing the the possibilities are magnificent mm -hmm. it's just it, it's it's overwhelming it's so exciting oh yes. and sometimes that's a problem right <laughs> too, many, too many options are are can, can actually be decision limiting. paralysis can actually be paralysis. yeah exactly mm -hmm. so uh that's the other thing you have to be careful about is like whoa okay scale back pick one or two, <laughs> give it a shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, just sorting through all of those different options to, you, you mentioned visual storytelling. I'm looking at app-based storytelling for this year for some stories and, and reaching out to artists and uh, all of that. And so there's so many possibilities that haven't been discovered yet or haven't been, um, haven't been harnessed and I can't wait to see what's going to happen as more people are able to come to the table and have more ownership of where storytelling goes. Awesome. Um, so 
All right. And so to close things out, you mentioned all of the projects that you're involved in. Tell me something you've really been enjoying lately. It doesn't even have to be one of your own projects, something you've been reading, music you've been listening to. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I enjoy so much. It's, 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 it's really, really odd. I mean, I have, I have print books on the go. I have eBooks on the go. I have audio books on the go podcast. Like there's so many, I'm, I'm constantly taking in information. I think, um, collaborations are interesting I, I like the idea of um creative commons mm -hmm. and public domain and what you can do when you take something and you're allowed to sample it or or, or add to it so for example like some of the things I, I that are remarkable to me are like a TikTok video people who are not writers or performers or whatever they're just average people who have passion and talent and, and I, there was this one, I know it's, it's months old now, but stuff like this just is marvelous. This guy starts this fake, uh, it's like an opera where he's in, in, a, in a, a grocery store mm -hmm. and he starts singing and then some stranger adds on because you can do the duet. Oh, yeah. Adds her voice. And then everyone adds on to that. And suddenly you've got 12 different layers of this song generated by 12 strangers who have never or will probably never meet each other. And they created art together and entertained millions of people mm -hmm. that I just love that kind of thing. And I want to be involved in things. Think about the Bernie memes that were going around. Right. I mean, not, not being political at all, but it didn't matter where you were from. It was fun. Yeah. There wasn't anything negative about it. It's just, Hey, it's an old man in mittens, right? Yeah. Like we all know old men and, and, and putting him everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. in Sheldon's spot on the couch and all these things, it was a, it was a, I found it, it felt like a, a happy, uh, fun, fun spirited sort of coming together of creativity and people having fun with it. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. That's like the kind of the thing that happens when people are, when people play, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is amazing. Cause that's really all we do as writers. Like really, I get to make crap up. <laughs> This is so cool. Don't tell anyone, okay? Don't, don't tell anyone. No, I have uh, I have several friends who write either nonfiction or they're scientists. And they'll say to me, I can't believe how many words you turn out. Like, yeah, mine aren't research though. Yeah. Like I just, I just make it up. <laughs> you just make things up. <laughs> There's nothing it's based on. I don't have to be accurate. <laughs> Although it's funny because uh, when I write nonfiction, when I do the true ghost stories, which are based on real um, things that have been relayed to me, there is still a story arc. There is still um, creative license that you have to take. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, creating scenes. So a guy gave me like five lines of text and I turned it into a 1500 word chapter. And I sent it to him saying, okay, so I took some creative liberties and I, and I told the story that I think was your story. And, and I made stuff up. <laughs> based on my understanding of humans and interaction and what would have been the case and he comes back to me and he goes oh my god it's like you were there and I was like but dude I made it up <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, is yeah that's yeah. a whole nother thing is the when you're writing and I don't know if this is how I've always described it to myself is the the warmer colder game where you're blindfolded and you're Someone is telling you where you're going. And that's how it feels to me writing fiction is like something is off about this scene. It doesn't feel real, which is ridiculous because none of these people exist. But <laughs> you're trying to get towards that. It feels yeah. realistic. It resonates. 
in in the setting right it can mm -hmm. be on a fictional planet or something like yeah. that <laughs> but but yeah it's funny and, and i even discovered that you, you get the feels like yeah well it's not real yeah of course good guy's a werewolf that's not real it doesn't exist it was like no, no no what's not real is the interaction they're having in their conversation that's not real <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no one would say that no, no one would say that thing no <laughs> Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. It's uh, an honor being here. Wonderful. And we will, I'm sure, talk again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Scribe Count Podcast. Coming up, we'll be discussing basic contract principles every author should be aware of, giving an ode to the mid-list, and continuing to delve into the concept of success. If you'd like to submit a topic or give feedback, you can send an email to us at support at scribecount.com. <laughs>